Okay, so we, we really started already last week, the virtue of piety, Midas HaChasidut. It was Parag chapter 18, but we're just going to start again on page 113. So he starts as by describing that we have this idea in life that Chasidus, right, or Chasidut, is false piety. And that's because we have many people, unfortunately, who indeed want to affect as if they are living a pious lifestyle and they do what we would call, you know, chumrot. They take on stringencies that are not legitimate stringencies to show the world that they're extra pious. Right? So I think the, the when when you hear about, you know, the Pharisees, right? So uh, you know, in Christian literature, they always talk about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were fakers; they were hypocrites. The truth of the matter is that Pharisee is really the word for prushim. Prushim were the people who abstained from doing things that were permitted to be done. They were the, uh, they're the Orthodox Jews of that day. But there was a, uh, a sense that the Christians wanted to sort of accuse them as being hypocrites, right? And that's something which has always been true, that when people take on certain uh, characteristics or certain stringencies, there's a tendency sometimes to think that they must be doing it falsely. Now, how much more so when they actually are doing it falsely and only to give themselves a good name, right? Um, the, the, uh, the, the joke goes that if people would, would get their, um, their lul of an esrik, if it was something that they only, they only uh, fulfilled the mitzvah, the four species at home, without anybody seeing them, perhaps they wouldn't, do quite as, wouldn't spend quite as much money on that lul of an esrik. And unfortunately, there is something to that. So these people have given piety a bad name among the general populace, and particularly the intelligent among them. Thus, the general populace already think that piety goes hand in hand with empty values, or were things that are contrary to reason and intelligence. And they believe that this is so since piety seems to consist entirely of the recitation of many supplications, lengthy confessions, exaggerated wailings and prostrations, and strange deadly mortifications such as ablutions in ice and snow and the like. Okay, now the, the, the Rambam also addresses this point at length in, in his uh, Guide to the Perplexed. The idea that when people are following and trying to take on as many stringencies as possible, but without understanding the rationales behind them, there's something very fake about it. And there's something that you're satisfying yourself. You're satisfying your craving for a specific um, lifestyle, but it's not necessarily the lifestyle that God wants from you. What they do not realize is that although some of these practices are necessary for Bali Chuva, for people who are owners of, of teshuva, of repentance, and some are appropriate for the acquisition of abstinence. Nonetheless, the virtue of piety is not based on any of these. The best of these customs could at most be an adjunct to piety. The nature of piety itself is very difficult. It is very profound and difficult to grasp. It rests on the foundations of great wisdom and the thorough rectification of one's conduct, and as such is worthy of pursuit by those who are wise of heart, for it is only given to the wise to truly attain it. So once again, what he's describing is that the idea of being pious has to rest on the foundations of doing the, this process, which is a progression of characteristic development. It has to rest on the foundations that have been built by following this, uh, you know, this, this self-help idea in order. And if you don't do it properly, you're going to end up with a, a fake piety. Similarly, our sages of blessed memory said, an ignorant person will never become pious. Because if you don't understand deeply 
what the purpose of life is and have gone through in this progression, you're not going to really become pious. You can take some of the external trappings of piety, but it's not a true piousness. We will now explain this concept step by step. The root of piety is epitomized in the statement that our sages of blessed memory in the Talmud. Praiseworthy is the man whose labor is in Torah and who pleases his creator. What this means is that the mitzvot that are binding on all of Israel are already known, and the delimitation of their duties is known. Yet he who truly loves the creator, may his name be blessed, will not consciously try to restrict his observance to the mere fulfillment of the well-known duties that obligate the whole of Israel in general. Okay, so he's going to now describe at greater length exactly what, what is true piousness. Rather, what will occur will be similar to the reaction of a son who loves his father. If his father were to just merely express his desire for something, the son would still do everything within his power to satisfy this wish. And although his father may have expressed himself only once and in half a sentence, the son would not have had any difficulty in understanding his father's desire, including the unstated parts of it. Through his own reasoning, he understands that this pleases his father, and he need not wait until his father instructs him more explicitly or repeats his words. And so what we're trying to describe over here is the relationship that a son has with a father. Why a son with a father? Because the, the son knows what the father wants from him. He grew up with this relationship. He knows what his father wants him to do, what he doesn't want him to do. He knows what will make his father happy, even if he never asked for it. And only someone who has that kind of relationship with God, right? We are considered to be a son in the relationship to Hashem, right? The Torah itself tells us that when Hashem rebukes us, when God rebukes us, he rebukes us as a father rebukes his son very lovingly. So we have that nature, we have a relationship of that nature with Hashem. However, it's going to be dependent to truly understand what it is that Hashem wants from us. You would have to have a deep understanding of the entire Torah. And you would have to have a sense of what it is that Hashem wants from us. Literally two nights ago, I was reading the um, Drashos Haran, the uh, discourses of the Ran. And he actually says something incredibly similar. He describes, he asks a question. And the question is like this. Why do we look at the deed that Abraham did with Yitzchak, that he bound him and he almost offered him as a sacrifice? Why do we look at that as such an incredible deed? Throughout the ages, there have been many people who actually sacrificed their children, right? You know, when they were faced with the situation, let's say in the Inquisition time, in the Crusaders time, and they actually would sacrifice their own kids if it meant that otherwise they would become idol worshippers. So why is it such a big deal? Why do we say that what Abram did is so incredible? What about everybody else throughout the ages? They haven't, what, they, what they did is, is even more. They actually did end up sacrificing their children so that they wouldn't violate the Torah. He explains like this. He says, and if you look very carefully at the words when Hashem is asking Abraham to bring Yitzchak to bind him up, Hashem says, take kach na, take please your son. Abraham said, I understand from Hashem's question that what he wants me to do is he wants me to take my son as an offering to him. But Hashem did not express that explicitly. For Abraham, who had every ability to say, no, that's not really what Hashem wants. He had such a tremendous ability to say, I cannot possibly be Hashem wants me to bring my son as an offering. He could have convinced himself of that. But he said, if this is what Hashem wants, even if he didn't express it explicitly, I'm going to do it. Throughout the ages, we haven't necessarily done that. In scenarios where people sacrifice their children, because otherwise they were going to violate the, the parts of the Torah not permitted to be violated, uh, you know, even under threat of, uh, of, of death. Well, in, in, that, in those aspects, they were told explicitly what the law is. 
So you cannot compare Abraham choosing to do something because he recognized that this is what God wanted from him to, to, uh, to people who did it, because not because they recognize that that's what God wants from them, but because it's, it's, it's explicit in the Shulchan Aruch. It's explicit in the law what one has to do faced with that, with that challenge. So that's what the, the Ran is discussing, is that that is the, the level that Abraham achieves. And that's what the Masilas Yasharim, that's what he's trying to express too. And when we talk about a true piousness, it has to be similar to the way a son knows what his father wants. And even when the father has not yet told him what he wants, the son already knows and he's going to make sure that he satisfies him. With our own eyes, we see this type of phenomenon. It transpires every moment and every hour between those who are devoted friends, between a man and his wife, between a father and his son. In other words, between any two people whose attachment is truly strong. In these cases, one should not say, I have not been instructed to do more. What I have explicitly been instructed to do is enough. Instead, from the instructions given, he should deduce what is on the other person's mind, and he should attempt to please the other party to the best of his understanding. And this is throwing in some, some marriage advice very offhand, right? That, that it's important to recognize that read between the lines of what your spouse is asking and do more than what they actually asked for. And do what you think that perhaps they didn't feel comfortable asking about what they really do want you to do. So, so that, that's true with the relationship that we have with Hashem. The same holds true for one who loves his creator with faithful devotion. For he too is one of those who are devoted to another. The mitzvot, whose requirements were openly made known to all, should be viewed as merely a revelation of his thoughts to serve as an indication of the will and desire of the blessed one. Therefore, one should not say, I don't have to go beyond what is explicitly prohibited. Or if I do what I am required to do, I'm fulfilling my responsibility. Rather, he should say, since it has become clear to me that he has indicated a desire in this direction, this should lead me on to intensify my efforts in this matter and to expand upon them in any way that I would judge pleasing to the blessed one. Such a person may be called one who pleases his creator. And so what you're doing is you're saying to yourself, how would I possibly know what God wants from us? Well, the answer is we actually do know because we have a book and the book is the Torah. And through reading the Torah and delving into what the Torah is trying to teach us and through reading the oral Torah and, and the Talmud, you start developing a sense of what the proper thing to do is because that's what Hashem wants you to do. And once you develop that sense, then you can indeed go beyond the explicit or the, the letter of the law and go take the spirit of the law and run with it and take it far further than is ever actually commanded to do based on what the Torah says.